have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. I pulled up some carpet in my basement, and on the concrete floor there was linoleum put down. And the linoleum's coming up, but then the the part that's underneath the linoleum where it was glued, how can I get that up? Uh, there are <laughs> products that will re- will release the adhesive, if you will. It's a solvent. In some cases, though, you're probably going to have to take a floor scraper and it'll work a little quicker for you, but it's still going to take a lot of elbow grease. I wish I could tell you there was a real simple solution of just put something down and scrape it up with a shovel or something, but there's not that I know of. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, I'm Jim Britt. We're here weekends at this time taking your calls and your questions about your home inside or out. If you've got a question that's important to you as today's homeowner, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email him questions at kenthecontractor.com. Let me start out by asking you, are you in the process of building a new home? Or maybe you are undertaking a major remodel of your existing home. I also want to ask you, are you thinking a little bit about cutting down on your operating costs when it comes to sewer and water? These are some things that we're going to address and point you in a direction that may save you some dollars. Sewer and water fees for those of us on domestic services, meaning coming from a municipality, a city, a county, a town, are bills that until recently we thought very little about. Your sewer and water bill may have been $5, $10, $15, but some of you are sitting out there saying, where is that today? Because you may be paying $50, $75, $125 a month for your sewer and water cost, and you're saying, what's happening here? Well, all across this country, our municipalities are being required to meet more and more standards that are tougher and tougher to meet federal criteria when it comes to discharge on sewer. So what we're noticing is that our sewer fee portion of our bill may be two, three, four times or more higher than the cost of the drinking water that we're bringing into our house. And There are systems out there today that will help us reduce the cost on that sewer side. First, for those of you that irrigate a garden, a lawn, do a lot of car washing, I want to remind you that unless you have an irrigation meter, and some localities will allow you to purchase that, meaning you're paying only on the water consumption, not on the sewer side, but unless you have that, every gallon of water that flows through your house to irrigate the yard or your garden you're paying a sewer fee on. And if that sewer fee is three or four times more per gallon than what you're paying on water, you're being eaten alive when you water that garden. So let's talk a little bit about some options that you have, an emerging industry nationwide, actually worldwide. And this technology has been around for a long time, but because of cost, we're paying more attention to it in this country. And it's considered or talked referred to as a gray water system. Now, we've got clean water, which is our drinking water, potable water that comes into our home. Uh, we typically would know black water, which is our sewer water, the discharge from the house. That's been around in that term for many years, going into a septic system, a drain field, or into the waistline. But now we are seeing people talk more about gray water. Gray water happens to be water that can be reclaimed from your home. It can be filtered. It can be recycled. You're not going to use it for drinking. It's not going back into your ice maker. But it can be used largely for many of these outdoor items as well as 
water going back into the tank in the toilets so that you can flush. And that ultimately will end up as the uh, the brown water that's going into the septic or the sewer system. The gray water system is fairly simple if you're building new. There are systems out there that will start in a range of less than $1,000 and go a little higher than that. They are self-contained. Your plumbing needs to be directed to those and then back, let's say, to a toilet for fill or outside for a storage tank to discharge into for garden use or for lawn use with pumps put in place. But by spending a few dollars on the front side, those of you that are very conscious about not only your operating costs but wanting to conserve water will find that you are recycling this gray water that has been filtered and are using it several times in your home before it actually ends up in the sanitary sewer system. A couple of companies that are producing these, one is referred to or called Gray Water Systems, Inc., another Saniflow, S-A-N-I-F-L-O, and there are others that are in the marketplace. And you may want to consider that. You can do this for a point of use as well. It does not have to apply to your entire home. So if you happen to have a particular area, let's say a laundry sink, that you would like to recycle the water, or a lavatory, or a bathroom that you're installing in an addition on the home, and you want just that lavatory to be discharged, these systems are small enough that you can recycle just that water. You can take the hand-washing water from the lavatory, you can run it through one of these filter systems, put it back in the toilet tank, and use that same water two times. And that will help, again, on your operating cost. A couple of things that you need to know about this. One, that if you're thinking about this, they have to meet local and national codes. This is something that needs to be installed by a licensed professional plumber in most areas. This is not typically something that a homeowner needs to install themselves. But if you are in a household with an average of, let's say, four people, you're going to use about 40,000 gallons of water per year. That's 40,000 gallons that can be reclaimed in some fashion. That's not all the water that you use. But, folks, if you've seen some of these go down the road, these large tanks the gasoline companies use to dispense, those are 10,000-gallon tanks in many cases. You're using four of those in what could be reclaimed water. Now, you sit down and do the math on what you're paying on the sewer side per gallon, you're probably going to find a, a pretty quick payback, maybe one to three years on considering a gray water system, depending on your overall usage. So it really is something for us to look at just as we consider energy costs and other costs in our homes today. That's gray water systems, also a system by Santa Flow that will allow you to use the gray water, and to irrigate with. Something else I want you to keep in mind that deals with recycling, that's reclaim this roof runoff. If you are in an area where water costs are high, you're not paying a sewer bill, especially if you're in a very arid area and there are times of year that water's in short supply or some of the bigger cities, you may want to think about the rain barrels that have become so popular in the last few years to collect roof runoff from your gutter, your downspout system. And for those of you that have a large paved or concrete area, you may want to think about some lines, swales, or ponds that also give you access to that runoff from stormwater that you can pump out and use for irrigating your garden with. Well, I know some folks, and this happened to them, uh, they, they uh, built a new house after they had been in a particular home for quite a few years. The sticker shock they got when it came to the sewer connection fee, was something that almost physically floored them. Yeah, it can take your breath away because in some cases you're not paying hundreds. I haven't seen hundreds in decades, but you're paying tens of thousands of dollars for the sewer connection, sewer availability fee, 
And that's because of what municipalities are having to spend on the discharge side to treat all of this. And they're also billing you every single month for it. That's why anything we can do that reduces the amount of water going back into the sewer system is good for the locality, but it's good for our cost every single month. Yeah, It's one of the things we're always uh, aware of on this program, trying to find you ways that you can live your life comfortably, but at the same time maybe save a few bucks here and there. And water particularly uh, wherever you're listening to this program in certain areas, becomes a bigger and bigger issue for a lot of folks. It's a basic one. can't live without it. But also the cost of it is escalating dramatically in certain portions of our listening area. Coming up this hour on this edition of Ken the Contractor, coming up in a half hour on our app of the week, Ken's going to tell you about an all-in-one unit converter. And at the bottom of the hour on our universal living update, what are the benefits of rollout cabinet shelving? Ken will update you on that. Don't forget, if you'd like to forward a question to Ken, you can do that to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com or reach us at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Do you have questions about your home, inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com, where folks come for professional answers. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is here answering questions that are important to today's homeowner. If you have a question for Ken, you can join us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And don't forget, you can also forward your questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. And we've got an email question right now from Vicki, who's down in Carolina and lives in just a great-sounded town, Black Mountain, North Carolina. That's not too far out of Asheville. And that's a wonderful part of the country, and hopefully she has enjoyed some cooler weather recently, living in a little higher elevation, but probably not, based on this question. If nothing else, she's been a little chilly in the winter months. She says, my husband and I live in a house built in the 1940s. It has painted wood siding and little or no insulation. Recently, we obtained pricing to install vinyl siding to reduce the painting and the outside maintenance on the home. Since we have little wall insulation, I'm wondering if there's an insulated siding that would help with our energy efficiency, or do we need to talk to someone about a foam or blown-in wall insulation alone? Well, Vicki, you've got two questions in my mind here. One, you want to deal with insulating the wall cavities in this older home that may have, sounds like, no insulation to speak of. And also, you're in the process of doing some outside renovation, trying to eliminate maintenance, and you're looking to put, I'm gathering your initial bids up, vinyl siding. But I will answer those in, in two separate ways. One, I want to deal with the outside first. There are products available, been around for a number of years. They continue to be perfected year after year for siding that contains insulation that will boost or at least provide some insulation to your outside walls if you have none whatsoever. I'm going to give you two companies. and These are just two of many that's out there in the marketplace. What I want you to do when I give you these two names is to go back to the individuals or the companies that you've already solicited bids from for your siding and ask them to give you prices for an alternate so that you can compare this to the uninsulated siding. One company is Rolex, R-O-L-L-E-X, Thermal Pro Insulated Steel Siding. Now, they produce a galvanized steel siding with a PVC finish, and the PVC finish is in a wood grain in multiple colors, but this is a more rigid siding than vinyl. It's going to cost more. 
So you have to determine what you're looking for around your home. But I do want to give you that as an option. Now, with the Rolex Thermal Pro, the R value, which is the resistance, the thermal resistance of that is 2.2 to 2.6, which is decent for an insulated siding, considering that standard siding has zero. Now, another one that's going to cost you a little less money that moves you into a full vinyl family is produced by a company called Prodigy. It's Prodigy, Prodigy Insulated Vinyl Siding. It has an R value of about 3.5. The good thing about the two siding companies I just mentioned is the insulation is not applied over the existing wood siding. It's actually manufactured as a backer in each of these siding panels. So as each panel is installed, that insulation is intact. If you cut it, you have to miter it. If it's cut to length, you know there are no voids. That's not always true when siding, standard siding goes up over an insulated material that's stapled or tacked to the existing side of the house. You could have voids. It may not be properly sealed. When this goes up, it is fully sealed. So I would suggest again to you that you investigate this as an alternate. Have them give you an additional price to use any of these products or products that are common to your particular region. Now let's deal with the wall cavity insulation itself. You're on the right track if you're thinking about doing some retrofit insulation using either a blown-in, a cellulose or fiberglass, or some type of a foam. Both of those technologies exist, the products exist, and there are companies around that have the capabilities of installing them in every single wall cavity around the perimeter of your home. An issue that we have typically, though, if we're not doing major remodel, is that they've got to put holes in the top of each wall cavity to be able to fill those with foam or some type of fiberglass or cellulose. And that can create more and more cost, and it can be unsightly and sometimes difficult to repair so that it looks decent. In your case, the fact that you're installing siding of some type on the exterior, this is a natural. This is the time to do that because these installers can come out and cut holes through the outside of the house and the existing wallboard, install the insulation in each wall cavity, repair that hole, then you can go on with your new siding, and you have the best of both worlds. You've got an insulated sided product. You also have insulation in these wall cavities, and you will notice a huge difference as you move through the heating and cooling season in your home. So those are my recommendations. Take them to heart, and hopefully you'll find you're cutting down some operating costs a little more comfortable this winter. And, Vicki, we do appreciate you listening to our program on WZGM, 1350 AM in Asheville. Got another email question. This comes to us uh, from Barbara out of Virginia. It's a chimney question. Yeah, it's more of a moisture question than a an operations question, uh, because hopefully this time of year at 100 degrees or whatever it may be, the chimney's not in much use. But she said, I need to call someone to address an efflorescence problem on the brick of my fireplace on the outside of the house. I assume there's moisture getting in. Do I call a mason or a fireplace person? Just tell me. Who do I call? Where do I start? Well, Barbara, first, I'm glad that you recognize you may have an issue. And for other listeners, let me explain. The efflorescence that you're talking about is a white, powdery substance that forms on the surface of brick once the moisture dries if water is coming from the inside out. Now, this has nothing to do with brick because it gets wet every day on the outside of our homes. But if water gets into the interior, coming from behind the brick or even in the open cells or the cores that's in most brick, and will seep through there and work its way to the face, it's going to be drawn to the outside by the heat. And it will come through the mortar joints as well. What it's doing is pulling some deposits from the natural minerals, the ground minerals that are in the clay that the brick's made of. And when that dries, it forms a white powdery residue. So there are many of you now saying, I've got some of that on the corner of the house or near a window or a door on the house. 
What you should pay attention to is the fact that if you have it, that means you've got water getting in places that it doesn't belong. So you want to go out and make a home inspection and look for flashing, look for areas where water can get in. Now, to go back, Barbara, in your particular case, you recognize that you have a water issue. I would clearly inspect and make a recommendation. You inspect that chimney. If you're capable of getting up on a ladder and you're safe and comfortable with that, you may do so. If you can't, if nothing else, take a low-powered pair of binoculars, and I recommend this constantly, and look at it from the ground. Look for several things. First, I want you to inspect the chimney cap. Start from the top down, and this is a cap that sits down in the flue, assuming you have one. If the cap is not there and there's been one there or there's never been one there, chances are pretty good you're getting water inside the flue liner and or around the parging on the top of the chimney that's allowing water to get into the chimney structure itself. Then I want you to move on down. I want you to look at flashing where the chimney connects to the house proper. If you see flashing that's loose, flashing that it needs to be recalked, nails that have popped in that or something, shingles that are missing in that area, that would also tell you that you've got the potential of an issue there. Then I want you to determine where does the efflorescence first show up. If it's well above the roof line, that tells you water's getting in closer to the top of the chimney and not at the point where it connects to the house. If it starts below the eave of the house or the flashing, that tells you it's down low. In any case, you can use, uh, I would recommend, a mason that specializes in fireplaces and chimneys. Even if the issue is a metal flue cap or the parging on the top, they can make that repair. Now, if the water source appears to start just below the roof line, then the chances are better that it's a flashing issue, and you may want to consider only a roofer at that point. But if you're not sure, then go ahead and call a mason out. They can deal, in most cases, with basic flashing to make it watertight, but they can also examine the mortar joints to be sure they're not cracked, they're not missing, that you don't have water getting in not only from the top but also through the surface of that brick. Bottom line is you've done a good job paying attention. Take care of the repairs, and that chimney will last you for many years. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here weekends at this time uh, taking your questions about your home inside or out. Now, you can reach us through the website, and you can email questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com, or you can give us a call at 800-614-2975. Once again, you can always reach Ken the Contractor at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. You have a question about your home inside or out, you can reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or email him questions at kenthecontractor.com. Time now for our universal living update. One of the items that uh, would make life very convenient for most of us would be access to our base and our wall or upper cabinets making it a little bit easier. How about some roll-out shelves? Now, roll-out shelves are not a new concept. Manufacturers, especially of custom cabinets, have been producing these for a number of years. But for those of us that have existing cabinets in our home saying, yeah, it'd really be nice, it'd be convenient, not only for day-to-day use, but especially if you have a special need, you have a difficulty in reaching, uh, this can make life a whole lot easier around the house. Rollout shelving today, folks, comes in all types of shapes, sizes, colors, and products. Manufacturers like Closet Made, Schulte, Craft Made, these are just some of the many companies that are in the marketplace that are producing not only new when you're buying your cabinets and installing them for the first time, but producing retrofit devices, guides, shelving, manufactured kits to go in existing cabinets. These come in wood, they're vinyl, they're an open mesh in some cases. They may be aluminum, made out of stainless, even glass rollout shelves, as well as plastic trays that hold smaller items that would fall through some of these mesh-type shelves that are available. You can also find these products available with what's considered a standard extension on the guide or a full extension, meaning the entire shelf 
will pull all the way out, not leaving a third of it perhaps back within that cabinet area. They're also available for you in different weight capacities. So if you're throwing pots and pans in one, you got phone books in another one, or maybe you have styrofoam items or just plastic utensils that you're putting someplace, you can determine how much money you need or want to spend and still satisfy your accessible needs. Also, they're available whether they've got pull handles on them or pull knobs or just cutouts to be able to grasp these. They are manufactured for both wet and dry environments also. So no matter what your needs are, think a little bit about this from a universal living standpoint. It's not all about physical disabilities these days. It's about being able to access, especially in this case, your cabinet shelving and the items that you're storing, both your base or your floor cabinets and your wall cabinets, which are those that are higher above your countertop. It's easy, it can be inexpensive, and it can make your life and those in your household so much easier when you think about this for universal living. I'll tell you, my parents lived in a home that had a lot of that pull-out shelving. Tremendously, tremendously uh, easy to deal with, uh, very convenient. But the other thing is it allows you also to really maximize your storage space because you don't have to move piles of things to get from one thing to another. I found uh, my mother in her kitchen found it exceedingly convenient. You can readily access everything, especially if you're using a full extension guide on the pull-out shelf. You can readily access everything that's there, and you can physically stack it. As you say, rather than having to pull things off the front to access what you have in the back, you can utilize better every cubic foot inside that cabinet space. You've got a good idea of the inventory. But I think for many of us, the biggest thing is just ease of access. It's not all about disabilities. That's why we use the phrase, and the industry does today, universal living. It applies to everybody. It's making things more accessible and more usable within our homes. And let's don't forget about our cabinets. If you have a question for Ken, you can join us a couple of different ways. Email us questions at kenthecontractor.com or give us a call at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phone lines right now as Carolyn joins us. Hi, Carolyn. You're on the air with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Hello. Hi there. Enjoy your program each week. Thank you. Appreciate you listening. Uh-huh. But uh, I, have, so I have a problem, and I, I thought maybe you have a new solution for it. Well, that's what we are. We hope to be the problem <laughs> solvers here. Let's see if well, we can help. Uh, when we moved into this home uh, years ago, there was a you know man-made rock waterfalls on the patio, and it's just patio, and we'd enjoy sitting out there at night uh, where the uh, garage extends out and it would shade the street light and we have a nice, you know, cozy little place to sit out in the evening. And it didn't seem to be bothered by mosquitoes or anything. Well, since then, the neighborhood has, you know, increased the other houses and so forth. And uh, now, and I have a grandson that's um, sort of allergic to mosquitoes and I'm sort of susceptible to them too. But now we find out that from somewhere they have moved in and sort of you know, cut our outside seeing down. So they, they, there's any any new things, you know, of course you have the the um, um the mosquito uh, pots or whatever around. Are are you using the waterfall on a regular basis, meaning that it, uh, is it no. is it active or has that gone away? No, that's gone away now. But uh, my son, who has joining property, has been wanting to put in a, a pond, but he sort of hesitated because of the same problem. So I was just wondering if, if there's something new that, uh, or whether those insects have just gotten more plentiful. Well, first let me talk about the the water garden uh, aspect of this. That 
the, the key to eliminating mosquitoes uh, from a, a water uh, feature. But but I never have a problem with it. I know so many others been involved in installing others. They don't have issues with it. But you need to keep that water active and keep it moving. It's stagnant water. Remember, yes, yes. You, you, people advertise, uh, governments do, that you don't want to have standing water yeah, well, on top we, of know, barrels or in tires. Upset all the you know containers or anything that holds anything. Right. Like so that. you you want to be sure that if you're installing a water feature that somehow that water stays active. You okay. have a fountain in, internally, so it's moving that water, or it's an active waterfall mm-hmm. where it's recycling the water. The other thing you have to take into consideration, and this is probably part of what has happened in your environment. You say not only has the area grown up around you, so now that you have more right. homes, more buildings, right. uh, but you have far more uh, vegetation, and even the vegetation around your home has probably grown up as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even the area where you had this water feature at some time. Yeah. Uh, all of that's going to be key, but the technology has changed so drastically in the last number of years to allow us to spend more time outdoors without spraying chemicals. Mm-hmm. Some of these are through, and I may not get the technical side of it right, I'm going to just send you to your computer to do a web search because I've done this before, whether you're looking at items that rely on an ultrasonic-type sound, something that you can't hear, uh, there are different devices out there that repel and keep these insects away. There are things that you can wear on your person that yes. you can buy now, you know, yes. that, that work uh, on a similar fashion. I've worked, uh, especially when I was a bit younger, spent many years working uh, with the Boy Scout program. And years ago, there was some technology that would allow us to, to put things on our belt so we weren't fighting mosquitoes out in the woods, camping and so forth. But they are, they're, they've been enhanced today. And that's my suggestion to you, but find something that treats this area. Yes. Uh-huh. But there are also mosquito-repelling plants. As I said a moment yes, ago, there uh-huh. are... Well, I've bought, and okay. bought my son both. We have bought a couple of those. You know. now, but what that, mm-hmm. that does not mean... So Sometimes that you, things like that attract them, and <laughs> not necessarily... No, but, but when I say mosquito-repelling, mm-hmm. and I've only had a limited experience with this, it doesn't necessarily mean that it creates a 10 by 20 area where a mosquito will never come in, but they are less likely to attract mosquitoes or allow them to lay eggs and develop than other plants will. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say from experience, part of your issue is probably the environment. Oh, I'm sure. You know, it's, it, it's those doggone contractors. They just keep building everywhere. <laughs> so we create issues. But the technology is there to allow you to enjoy that back porch, that patio, at least a limited area in your yard without spraying chemicals. Thank you so much. Every little idea helps. It sure. Thank you for your call. We appreciate you listening. Thank you, Carolyn. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. You can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you'd like to email your questions to Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, forward them to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Remember, a house is what you build, a home is what you make it. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be right back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Do you have questions about your home, inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com 
where folks come for professional answers. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can forward him questions through the website, KenTheContractor.com. And we've got a couple of those questions from the website coming up in just a moment. But first, time for us to bring you in the news. Each week, Ken brings you products, trends, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, remodeling, and also new construction. This week in the news, Air King, which is a ventilation products manufacturer known to many of you. If you look up on that ceiling fan, you're going to see their name or their label on that, even in your bathroom. But Air King has announced a new release, a product, a fan, an exhaust fan that operates based on humidity rather than temperature. We've all been exposed to those for a number of years that come off and on based on the temperature setting in our attic or perhaps in a garage or other rooms. But this one deals strictly with humidity. And the reason this is important is because so many of you contact me regarding problems in areas like your basement where you have high humidity levels and you want to know, how do I deal with this? How can I keep airflow down here to reduce the mold and mildew? This new humidity-sensing exhaust fan are available in both single and dual-speed models with a maximum speed of 80 or 130 CFM, depending on whether they are single or dual speed. They have an ultra-low sound level, and they're very energy efficient in terms of their operation. They are operated strictly by sensing the humidity and will exhaust this to the outside. So this is designed to be a ducted system. It's not a ductless system, and you wouldn't expect that anyway since you're trying to remove humidity to the exterior. The humidity sensing fan provides you know, ventilation in areas, as I mentioned. I think about garages that may have moisture issues, especially those that are partially below grade. Basements, in some cases, we've got closets and other areas that just have poor circulation that may accumulate humidity, especially if you're listening to us in a coastal zone where you have hot, humid summers. This fan could be a natural for you. We can go one step further and say it will work quite well for you as well in the bathrooms if you've got an awful lot of steam that you're just trying to dissipate or get rid of or you're worried about kids leaving fans on and not turning them off. This one is fully automated. So I advise you, if you're interested in this, you happen to have a moisture problem somewhere, think about Air King and their new humidity-sensing exhaust fan. Very good. Don't forget the contact number to reach Ken is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phone lines right now, and it's Lynn who joins us. Hi, Lynn. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Yes. Hi there. I have a question. Um, we built our home eight years ago, and um, we had hired someone that wasn't exactly a um, professional sort of an amateur, we were trying to save some money to do tiling on our kitchen floor. Okay. And now eight years later, we have quite a number of cracked tiles. Okay. And we had to raise the, we raised the floor because the, it, it, the rest of the floor off the kitchen is um, wood laminate. So we had to raise the floor to put the tile on. And so now we're thinking of just replacing the ones that are cracked but we're not sure if it's the floor that's bad or if the guy just didn't do a good job. If the tiles are in a consistent area, if they're all together, it it may well be a soft spot in the floor. But if they're random, meaning you've got one in one part of the kitchen or the the room and, and you go over three or four feet and you have another one, it may simply be that there was not enough adhesive or mastic on the back of those particular tiles 
and they remained hollow in the middle with mastic on the outside. In other words, if there was an impact or a step, it could have cracked the tile. Okay. They are kind of random. Okay, so that may mean that there was not enough adhesive placed on the back of them. I've seen that happen when those tiles have been pulled up and replaced. In that case, if you have some spare tiles, you might want to pop those out, see if the adhesive was solid on the back, and then put a, you know, put it back down properly and regrout it and you might be fine. But anytime you see a large grouping, that generally means there's some movement between floor joists if this is on wood, or even if it's on concrete, that there was a high spot somewhere and they didn't properly fill the low area in. Okay. So it should give you a little clue. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank, Thank you. you for the call. Thank you, Lynn. We do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or send questions to his website. We've got some of those mailbag questions now from KenTheContractor.com. Well, Larry L. out of Western Virginia writes to us today with a problem that many of you are dealing with, based on my emails anyway, and that has to do with pressure-treated wood, twisting, warping, and fence issues. He says, how can I tell if a pressure-treated post is going to warp after installation? Now, that's an, the unusual side of the question. So I'm having fits with a fence job that I'm doing. Well, first, Larry, let me suggest to you, it's partially it's going to depend on the quality of the pressure-treated material that you are using. And some pressure-treated material, probably what most of us are accustomed to picking up, is going to have a high moisture content in it, perhaps 25 to 30%. Because pressure-treated materials are made just that way. They are submerged in vats of water with chemicals that's injected through pressure into the exterior, the outer skin of that particular timber or member. And if you're using a product that has come recently from that vat, that moisture content is so high that when you lay it on the ground, if it's not stacked properly, you put it out in the sun, it's going to have a greater tendency to twist and warp and split. So my suggestion to you, and many of the professional fence installers will do this, they are buying a pressure-treated product that has been dried. Most lumber is kiln-dried in the first place. But once pressure-treated material has been treated, it can be dried, and there are manufacturers that will do so. Now, you're going to pay more money for this dried material, but what you're going to get is a product that is less likely, no guarantees, but less likely to twist and warp on you once you install a fence post or some that's more common than the post, will be the two-by-fours that are typically used as the horizontal runners that support the fence boards. So think a little bit about the material in advance. The other thing that I would tell you, Larry, as well as everyone else, regarding pressure-treated material, all lumber is, is going to be the same, but especially pressure-treated material, when you receive it on site, don't just let them dump it off the truck and leave it. You want to stack it. You want to stack it tightly. You want it to be adjacent to the the next piece of lumber. You want lumber on top of it. If you leave a piece even overhanging a few feet, the boards below it, it's going to have a tendency to start twisting or to start warping on you. Lumber is soft material to some extent, and under its own weight, it's going to settle and find a way that it becomes happy. And if that means it's in a U-shape, that's where it's going to be. So for any lumber, but especially pressure-treated, you want to receive it at your site. You want to properly store it. Pressure-treated materials, you may want to put a tarp over the top of it if you're going to have it on the ground for a few days. If this is a kiln-dried product and you want to reduce the moisture, you're anticipating morning dew or rain, keep the moisture directly off of it until you install it. And you're saying, well, what happens then? Why doesn't it twist or warp? Once lumber is installed and it's properly fastened, it is less likely to twist and warp. Deck boards especially 
handrail materials, independent pieces like a fence post that may be projecting six feet above grade can still twist or warp, but they're not as likely to do so once you've tied off uh, pieces of, of your horizontal members to that. So think about how you're using the material. Sometimes it's more about the use than it is about the product. And I think if you'll follow that, Larry, you'll find you have a little better results. And if you've got a fence question, we encourage you to go to our website, kenthecontractor.com. One of the most searched topics on our website are questions about fences and fencing. And you can find all that online at Ken's website, and that's kenthecontractor.com. That'll wrap up another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken the Contractor. You can join us each weekend right here on the radio. If you've got a question for Ken, don't forget you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or if you're shy and don't want to be on the radio but you'd like to forward a question to Ken, you can do that through our website. You can go online to kenthecontractor.com. That's kenthecontractor.com. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.